Yes, yeah, so we're reading Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. But, but those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. Peace be on Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Ben, and good morning, everybody. Uh, as Graeme said, my name's Ali, and I'm one of the ministers here at St. Jude's, and it's a, a real joy and privilege to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. Uh, so, as you heard, we're looking at Psalm 125, um, and it is a great psalm. It's, uh, if you note in your Bible, it says that it's a song of ascents, a song of ascents, which is kind of like the playlist for pilgrims, if you like. So, these are the songs that they listen to, that they taught and that they sang. If the early Israelites had Spotify, this would be on replay in their playlist, okay? It's probably would have made their wrapped end-of-year review, these songs of ascents. Three times a year, the Jewish pilgrims would make their way to Jerusalem, to the temple for the festivals, and it was quite a trip. So you can imagine them making their way up to Jerusalem for Passover and singing the Psalms on their way, looking up to Mount Zion and to the city of Jerusalem, where all those ancient battles had taken place, those impenetrable walls, the surrounding mountains. And as they journey onward, they dwell on these words. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken. It would be stirring stuff. And the Psalms in general, and the Psalms of Ascent in particular, well, they're meant to engage our whole being. They're meant to be performative, to, to be in, inhabited and embodied. They're not dry pieces of information, but they're songs meant to capture your imagination and to be experienced and felt as much as provide us with information about God. It's a bit like studying a musical composition without ever having heard it performed or playing it. How reductive and odd would that be? Or reading a play without ever seeing it live with all the characters in motion? So when we come to the Psalms, we have to understand that these are much more than just dry bits of information. They're songs to be experienced and lived. And it's a good psalm for us to dwell on and meditate and memorise and sing as we go through our life as well. So today you're invited not just to learn about Psalm 125, but to embody it, to experience it and let it take root in your life. To play it, if you like, to perform it. And we do this as a community, as the original hearers and performers did. 
Psalm 125 becomes this dynamic and active as we live it out together as pilgrims, making our way not to Mount Zion, but to, as Hebrews 12 reminds us, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So let's start looking into it. Verses 1 and 2. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. Mountains have always been symbols of stability and security, strength, durability, power. Think of the Himalayas, think of the Alps, the Andes. People long to hike them, to conquer the unyielding terrain, to summit the peak. And in war, those who have the high ground are at the advantage. Mountains provide a natural barrier and a defence. So way up in the Austrian Alps is the Hohenwerden Castle, built in the 11th century. It's not a very good picture, I'm sorry about that. But it's this fortified castle that has seen attacks and sieges, but it's withstood them all, not because of the construction of the castle, but because of its location. As you can see, it's surrounded by mountains. And in, course of, in our day and age, we don't really look to mountains so much for our security, do we? We look to governments, to prosperity, to military power, to allies. These things make us feel secure. Uh, you might read uh, Forbes. They, they put out their most powerful people in the world list. And Xi Jinping has regularly and unsurprisingly been at the top of the list, often followed by Vladimir Putin for several years. We might think of being strong and powerful as being able to lift massive weights and being super muscly. We might think about it being about having money and influence like Zuckerberg and Musk and Bezos and Gates. Or being popular and having sold out concerts throughout the world like Taylor Swift. On the Forbes most popular list, she rose from number 79 and jumped to number five just recently because of her huge influence. In my generation, the people who were powerful and wealthy were doctors and lawyers and those in finance. And although that still continues, kids today look to YouTubers. So in a global poll, kids aged eight to 12 when they were asked what they wanted to be when they grew up, yes, that's right, they picked a YouTuber over an astronaut or anything else that was highly desired before. In fact, 30% of them, so that's over one half of Gen Z and millennials, wanted to become social media influencers. So we now have people who are called influencers who are paid to influence us. And their names are known by young people all around the world. They have huge followings and masses of wealth. So for instance, YouTuber Mr. Beast, he has over 300 million followers 
I can't even wrap my, my brain around that. That's more than the population in the US, is how many people follow his YouTube channel. And Kibabi LeMay is the number one person on TikTok. He's 24 years old, and he has over 618 million followers. And then on Instagram, number one person is Cristiano Ronaldo. He's the most followed person on Instagram. He has 617 million followers. And he's followed by Lionel Messi, Selena Gomez, Kylie Jenner, and The Rock. These are the people that have influence in our world today. These are the people who are powerful. So I wonder what is it that you strive for? Is it likes, followers, money, investments, job stability, family, reputation, fitness? There's lots of things that make us feel powerful or secure or influential. And actually, it's so much our default that we even fail to recognize it. Most of us aren't living hand to mouth, even with the current cost of crisis living that we're experiencing and maybe causing some concerns. But we live lives that are predominantly built on the security of our own abilities or the advantages of family or the nation which we live in. And so if we would lose everything in an instant, just like that, we would still have insurance and good health care and a stable government and education and all these other things that are so easy to take for granted. And although it might take time, we could rebuild. That's the situation that we find ourselves in. So we might not always be aware of the things that we find security in. It might be our role at work. It might be the marks we get at school. It might be in our sporting achievements or in our health. It might be in our ability to get along with people or our role as a spouse or a parent or a friend. But what the Psalms is inviting us to see is that all of these securities can easily fall apart, that they aren't a secure investment. And the key word in this psalm is trust. Who do you trust in? Trust is about placing your confidence in something or in someone. It's about relying on it and depending on it. And so often we do that without thinking. And it's only when that thing or that person lets us down that we realize how much trust we placed in it. So when we look at Psalm 125, what do we learn about trust? Well, it begins with a promise and a warning. So firstly, there's a promise that trusting God brings security. Those who trust in the Lord cannot be shaken. They stand resolute. They're like the inviolable mountain of Mount Zion. Why do they stand so firm? Well, the answer we see in the parallel verse, in verse 2, is because God, God surrounds his people now and forevermore. Strength is not found in their ability, but in the God that they trust in. So we hope not in ourselves, but in the Lord. The Lord himself is our protection, 
He's our safeguard and defence. And we're going to tease this out a little bit later. So that's the promise. The promise that by trusting in the Lord, we can find lasting security. But in verse 3, there's also a warning. There's a warning not to use the methods of power that the wicked use. So from verse 3, the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. For then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. So there we see that there is an affirmation that the scepter of the wicked will not remain. It is not secure. The scepter is a symbol of authority and power. And the psalmist says that it's not going to remain. The power of the wicked is a flimsy power. It's a charade. It's not going to last. And so we're deluded into thinking that power comes from wicked methods. Because we find that there's no lasting power there at all, actually. It can be so tempting to mistreat people when we're in a bad mood or we have a deadline to put our interests above other people, to demean or humiliate or intimidate those who are weaker than us, to favour those who are more popular or more powerful. We see so many cases of powerful people and institutions getting away with corruption and abuse. And in Psalms 37 and 73, uh, the psalmist despairs because he looks at the prosperity of the wicked. They seem to have no worries. They seem to just be cruising through life. But the grass that, but like the grass that withers, their time will come to an abrupt end. Their day is coming. So you see, there's an acknowledgement that the wicked do dwell amongst the righteous. And we do well to grasp this. God doesn't promise that he's going to remove all threats or all sources of danger to God's people yet. So we shouldn't be surprised that there are those who set themselves up against God and that they continue to use their power to prevent good and to do evil. God doesn't promise that there'll be no obstacles to the righteous or that the wicked don't have any power but he does promise that it will not always be that way. The grasp that the wicked have on power is a shaky one. And so we should resist the temptation to follow their path. Or we too will be swept away with that. When the king of Assyria, who was the superpower of the day, he surrounded Jerusalem in a siege and he was calling King Hezekiah to surrender and he sent a messenger to Hezekiah saying, oh, what are you basing this confidence of yours? You speak empty words. Who are you depending on? Surely you have heard what the king of Assyria has done to all the other countries, destroying them completely. And the messenger called out to the people of Israel, trying to intimidate them. And he said, don't let Hezekiah mislead you when he says that the Lord will deliver us. Have the gods of any other nations delivered their lands from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are their gods? 
how can then can the Lord deliver you? From a ground level perspective, Jerusalem was completely surrounded. The most powerful nation of the day was about to attack them and they didn't stand a chance. But Hezekiah went and he prayed to the Lord and then the next day they awoke to find that the whole Assyrian army was lying dead in their camp. Trusting in God is the only security, the only security that is rock solid. He is the one who never fails. And yet as we read the Bible, we see that there are many times that the Israelites forgot that, that they put their confidence in the land or in Zion or in the temple, not in the Lord who had given them these things. They trusted in objects and places. And so when the Lord abandoned them because they had forsaken him, they were shocked just as we can easily do today ourselves. They used the words of God as proof text to trust in the things that God had given them instead of the giver himself. And so you see, Zion was a symbol. It's a poetic, somewhat ambiguous symbol of God's place with his people. It was Jerusalem, the city of David, the promises to the throne of David and the people of God all wrapped up in one. It became the hub of all of Israel's hopes. And so we read things like in Psalm 48 where it says, The city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole world is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. Or Psalm 84, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Whole hearts are set on pilgrimage. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Zion is the embodiment of God dwelling with his people in his perfect place of shalom or peace. It is a place of refuge for the oppressed, the centre of peace and the absence of of warfare. The home of God and his dearly loved people. And God's mountain is inviolable and impenetrable, not because of its own power, but because the almighty God who dwells within her. For as the Israelites came to see when they became complacent and smug in their chosenness, when they neglected the God who had called them and relied on holy places instead of the Holy One, they were carried away into exile and their land was destroyed. And so, as as Graham said earlier, we should not mistake the current conflict in Gaza and Israel for the Old Testament people of God. But we should note that now, as then, pilgrims are called not to trust in a place, but in a person, in the Lord. That is who we are called to trust in. 
the hope and expectation of Zion renewed far exceeds the modern state of Israel into a much bigger reality to come where God will dwell with his people forever. And so the pilgrimage that we, along with all of God's people, are on is what um, commentator James Mays calls an enactment of trust. Which means that as we learn to trust God more, we, we trust him now. As we learn to trust God more, we do this by trusting in him now. Trust is not something that we talk about or that we theorise about. It's something that only makes sense when you put it into practice. As God's people, we are called to trust God on the go. This is the embodiment or the enactment of trust that verses 4 to 5 solidify for us. So we read, Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart, and those who turn to crooked ways the Lord will banish with the evildoers. Just as in Jesus' parable of the narrow and the wide gate, or the house that is built on the sand, or the house that is built on the rock, so there are two ways to live. The way of trusting God and finding security in him and the way of seeking security elsewhere. Both paths are journeys that lead to outcomes of blessing or banishing in the end. We know that no one does good, not one. That's what Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 says. So when we read this chapter of Psalm 125, we know that it cannot mean that those who are perfectly good in their own virtue, okay? The righteous are not self-righteous. The righteous are those who seek God. They're oriented towards God. As we saw in verse 1, they're those who trust in the Lord, who are united to him through the righteous one, through the Lord Jesus. For he was the one who never failed his father. He never failed to trust him. But those who seek power apart from God, the evildoers or the wicked, they will find themselves in opposition to God and eventually the fullness of his power will be displayed. There are two paths or two journeys that this psalm invites us to consider. The way of trusting in God or the way in trusting and finding security in anything else. But we must not forget another mountain. This mountain was outside the city of Jerusalem, a place called Golgotha or Calvary, the Latin name for it, the place of the skull. And it was not an impressive mountain by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, it was one that people would avoid and shun. It was a place that seemed bereft of power. But ultimately, we see God's power and presence in a place which seems anything but. 
in a forsaken dead man on a cross outside the city gates. People jeered at him. If you were the king of Jews, save yourself. They looked and they saw defeat and misery and hopelessness. A so-called king who was a laughingstock, abandoned by his followers and left to die in humiliation. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? How then can the Lord deliver you? Well, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, what others find ridiculous or as a crutch for weak people or an embarrassment even, we who are pilgrims know where true power lies, where true wisdom, true security is found. It is this mount, Mount Calvary, that establishes our security, where God's power is shown. For God did not abandon us, but he surrounded us with his love by laying down his power and taking the punishment and the place of evildoers such as ourselves. And as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, if he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We can trust in the Lord because he gave up everything so that we could dwell with him for all eternity. He is trustworthy. God's great power and presence are ultimately seen in the death of his son on the cross and his rising again in victory. So will you walk in trusting the Lord? Will you place your full confidence in him? Many of us are called to trust God with heavy things. We may be called to give up security in earthly possessions or in homes or called to forfeit desires for the sake of making God number one in our hearts. We may be called to relinquish relationships that lead us astray or to give up promotions or opportunities that play into our self-glory. Like Abraham, like Daniel, like Esther, like Mary, like so many people in the Bible and the saints of old, we are called to walk in the way of trust. But dear friends, let me tell you, it is the most secure place that you will ever be. There is nothing in this life that can't be taken away, that can't get sick or break 
or be destroyed or die. The Lord is the only one who will never leave you or forsake you. His love is stronger than death. We can lose everything in this life. We can lose our homes, our health, our loved ones, our investments, our jobs, our reputations, our friends, even our churches. But we can never lose Christ. So put your trust in the Lord and you will be like Mount Zion, which can never be shaken. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that we can trust in you. Thank you that you have shown us so clearly that you are all-powerful, all-faithful, all-loving, and that being with you is the safest place we can be, even when everything else is uncertain. Please help us to trust you now in the big things and the small things, in the daily things, in the big decisions, with our past, our present and our future, with all that is dear to us. Help us to keep trusting you as we journey on. In Jesus' name, amen.